I don't know if uh, you're maybe a little like me, and, I, and I'm guessing some of you are because I've heard you talk before, that as you look at the state of the family in our culture, you kind of get a little bit concerned. That, that as we look at the, the, the nuclear family in America, we just see decline, and a lot of people would say, it seems kind of hopeless. I don't need to share statistics with you, because statistics don't really matter as much as just looking around our own town and our own family to know that family is tough, and families in our culture are in many ways a mess. It seems that family, as God defines it, just doesn't seem to be valued as much in our culture as it once was. And so we need to think of some answers. And so people think of all sorts of strange, I think, answers and maybe some potentially good answers as to how to fix the state of the family in our culture. I was trying to think this week, like, what are some things we could do? Maybe um, we need to do Mother's Day more often. Wouldn't that, do you think that would be good? Like, maybe like four times a year we do Mother's Day. And, and some of your moms are thinking, that's great. Then like four times a year I don't have to cook. Uh, that's it. Other 361 days I do, but um, get four days off instead of one. That, that may or may not really fix things. Um, a lot of people kind of take the, the route of let's find a nonprofit organization that has some lobbyists that will go to our legislators and, and, and lobby them to pass more pro-family legislation. Maybe that's a route that we could go that might have some effect. Other people just get kind of weird. They start like stockpiling canned goods and bottled water and pocket knives and flashlights and go in their basement and try and just get away from everybody. Um, and I don't know if that really would be very effective. So what do we do? As we try and build up our own families in a way that would honor God um, in a world where families don't seem to be built up in that way, how do we address the seemingly hopeless state of families in our culture? Better than any of those answers that I just shared is what we find in God's Word. And so, interestingly, on Mother's Day, the first time as we go verse by verse through the Gospel of Mark, this is the first time that family is directly addressed in the book of Mark. And it happens to be on Mother's Day, which is kind of fitting. But as I read the passage, you might look at it and think, well, that's a strange passage to pick for Mother's Day. And it is, except I didn't pick it. We're just we're going through verse by verse, and this is, this is where we're at. And you'll see it as we read it. But it's God's Word, and it's good, and I trust that God will do things in us as we read it and hear it preached this morning. If you're able to, let's stand as we read God's Word together. This is the Word of God, and here's what it says. Mark chapter 3, starting in verse 31. And his mother and his brothers came. And standing outside, they sent to him and called him. But a crowd was sitting around him. And they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. You can be seated. Interesting passage. 
And we're just going to dig in, and you're going to see in your outline, there's a couple of main points that we'll go across, start in verse 31 and 32. If you have your Bible, keep it open there so you can be referring back to what I'm talking about. You know, it's, it's a little surprising. If you just listen to me read that, you might have been a little surprised at Jesus' reaction. When somebody told him, your family's outside looking for you, and you heard Jesus' reaction to that, you might have been, like me, a little bit surprised. But I think you'd be a little less surprised if we understood the context a little better. So I'm going to take a little time to help us understand why Jesus responded to his mom and his brothers in the way that he did. Okay? Anytime you're looking at Scripture and something seems a little bit hard to digest, you need to be sure that you're looking at the whole context. And you might remember from last week, verse 21. So if you're in your Bible, look at Mark chapter 3, verse 21. If you remember from last week, this helps us understand why Jesus responded to his family in the way that he did here. Because last week, look at verse 21. Jesus had gathered and there was a crowd around him. And it says in verse 21, And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him. For they were saying, He is out of his mind. You remember that? Jesus' family, those closest to him, were scared for his safety. And so as he was out doing what God had called him to do, his family got a little bit scared. And they looked at Jesus and said, he is out of his mind. This man's crazy. He's lost it. Let's go get him before he hurts himself. Okay? That's what his family was thinking. And so that helps us better understand When his family approaches him now, in verses 31 and 32, Jesus is teaching, a crowd is gathered around him, it says again in verses 31 and 32. And his family wants to talk to him. So Jesus is inside, surrounded by a crowd. His family can't get in. We've seen this before already in the Gospel of Mark. And his family wants to talk to him. Why does Jesus respond in the way he does? Well, first of all, it's because of the reason for which they were coming to get him. Remember when we saw that word last time, it says they, came, they were coming to seize him? That meant the same thing as like kidnapping. They weren't going to just say, hey, Jesus, why don't you come with us? We got some dinner. Got something in the crock pot, Jesus, why don't you come? That wasn't their approach. Their approach was, we are going to get you and we're going to take you out of this because we're scared for your life. So they were coming with, now here's, here's the second part. I need, you to, I need to point this out because as we read this in our modern English context, most of you, I'm guessing, are reading your Bible in English this morning. Um, as you do that, we just kind of hear, well, Jesus, that seems kind of rude. Like me. Okay, my mom lives in Minnesota. And, and my brothers um, live, yeah, uh, one in Minnesota, one in South Dakota. If I'm preaching here, I have a crowd gathered around me, and if somebody says, hey, Jeremy, your mom's outside, wants to talk to you. I'd probably say, Lynn, why don't you come up here and talk for a little bit? I've got to go talk to my mom. And you'd think, well, that's pretty rude if Jeremy says, oh, I don't care, who's my mom? You're my mom. Like, what? That, that seems a little bit rude. And as we read it in English, it seems that way. But if, we, again, we're reading this in its context, we start to understand it. But if you were reading this in the original language, you'd pick up on some things that we don't pick up on in English. And, and, and here's a couple of them. When we look, look at verse 31. Verse 31 says, And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him, and they called him. And then at the end of verse 32, people tell him that Jesus, that someone is seeking you. 
Mark uses those words ten times in the Gospel of Mark, but every time he uses those, it's kind of, it's, it's a negative kind of thing. It's not the kind of like, oh, I'm coming to seek you out, Jesus, because I know that you're God and I want to submit myself to you. When Mark uses those words every time, it's people seeking Jesus out to do something to him. Okay? It's mainly used at the end of the book when people are seeking out Jesus, coming after Jesus, trying to arrest him and destroy him and have him killed. So that's the kind of seeking and calling that Mark's referring to here. And we don't really get that. We're just thinking, well, they just want to talk to him. Well, not really. They don't really want to just talk to him. They want to come and they want to kidnap him, seize him, take him away from the work that he's doing right now. That's why his family was there. So doesn't that help you understand a little bit better why Jesus responded in the way he did to his family? So that's Jesus' response to his earthly family. And we start to see, again, this theme that we've come up with, that's come up a few times in Mark, that there's a couple groups of people here, right? There's people on the inside, and there's people on the outside. Remember when we saw this, when Jesus was inside the house, and remember who he was eating with? Tax collectors and Pharisees, right? No, not tax collectors and Pharisees, sorry. Tax collectors and sinners, Jesus is eating with tax collectors and sinners. And who's on the outside? Pharisees. And they're looking in and they're questioning Jesus. They're assuming that they have authority over Jesus. Well, all these people, the tax collectors and sinners, are just sitting at his feet. And remember what Jesus said to the Pharisees in chapter 2? He said, I've not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. He said, I came for the sick people who know that they need a doctor. Remember that? And now again, we have Jesus in a house with a group of people and then another group of people outside. But interestingly, this time it's Jesus' own earthly family that's standing on the outside. But it's much the same as the passage before. You've got this inside group that is submitting themselves to the authority of Jesus. And then you have this outside group that is assuming that they have authority over Jesus. Jesus' family is coming to try and take him away, as though they have authority over him. So you see those two groups, right? Those that submit to Jesus and say, you are God, and those that assume authority over Jesus and assume that they're God. And most of us would say, like, I'm not going to do that. Like, if you're sitting here in church on Sunday morning, you're probably not saying, I'm more important than Jesus. Like, none of you would say that. Most of us would say, yes, Jesus is my Lord, but a lot of times, we like to hold some things back. We like to assume that we have authority over something. Jesus, you can be Lord and have authority over some areas of my life. right? Like, I'll go ahead and give a tithe, but after that, my money's my money. So I get to do whatever I want with it. I will, God, I'll give you Sunday mornings. I'll do the church thing. I'll even go to a Bible study. I'll spend a little bit of time every day praying, praying or whatever. But the rest of the time is my time. I want to be Lord over my time. We, we do resist a lot of times the idea of Jesus being Lord over all of our life, if we're honest. We want to be the people who say, Jesus, you are Lord, and I want to sit under your authority. We want to be the people on the inside, in the house, not the people on the outside questioning or assuming authority over Jesus. Okay, so that's the two groups that we have. Now, Jesus is going to talk, move from talking about his earthly family to talking about his eternal family. 
in verse 33. We'll go ahead and look at verse 33 again. Here's what it says. And Jesus answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And again, that sounds harsh. That sounds kind of anti-family. Like, would Jesus be mad that we're celebrating Mother's Day? It seems like he doesn't really like family. I mean, what's his deal? Who are my mothers and brothers? Who are my mother and brothers? That doesn't sound very nice. But Jesus' response is harsh because the people that are outside, his family in this case, are seeking to get in the way of him doing what God had called him to do. And Jesus doesn't look kindly on that. You might remember, if you've, if you've read your Bible a lot, you might remember later, we'll see it in Mark chapter 8, verse 33, when Peter, remember Jesus says to the disciples that he has to suffer and die? And you remember what Peter says? Oh no, not you. And you remember what Jesus says to Peter? He says, get behind me, Satan. When people try and stand in the way of Jesus doing the Father's will, he speaks very harshly to them. And so he, in a sense, is rejecting his earthly family at this point because they're seeking to get in the way of him doing what God had called him to come and do. Okay? So Jesus then goes on in verses 34 and 35 to basically redefine what family means. Look at verse 34 and 35. It says, And looking about at those who sat around him, Jesus said, looking at this crowd, these people, saying, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Pretty bold thing that Jesus is doing here. Again, claiming authority to even define what family is. You know, we... uh. Delaney, I think I have a picture on there of, of my family that I grew up in. You can't see it very well, but that's me, the, the taller one over there, and I've got three younger siblings. And, and God blessed me with an incredible family that I grew up in. Um, and we even now, Kirsten thinks it's weird how well we get along. We got, a well, got along really well when we were younger. And my parents, I'm sure they did something wrong in there, but my parents did an incredible number of things right. And I love my earthly family. When we get together, there are inside jokes that just go back and forth that nobody else would understand. We kind of speak a language that no other families would understand, but we just do it. And we tell stories that we've told 400 times, and we all know how they're going to end, but we keep telling them anyway. And we just enjoy when we get to be together as a family. My earthly family that God gave me to grow up in is a blessing. And then God's given me an incredible family now. Um, they are, uh, man, we, we, they're hilarious. We laugh all the time at my house. We've started keeping a quote book um, to just write everything down. And anytime our kids say something extremely cute, which is nearly daily, we try and remember it so we can write it down and remember that and go over it. We've got memories stored in photos and in videos and more in our minds. Our family, we share a lot of meals together. We've gone through some hard stuff together. And, and you know that in your family, right? In your earthly family, some of the greatest moments of joy that you've had in your life come with your earthly family, don't they? And also some of the greatest moments of sorrow and pain and hurt come in your earthly family. And so with our earthly family, we have very, very strong ties. But what Jesus is saying here is 
there's a family whose ties are even closer. Jesus is saying, these people outside that are on my, of my earthly family right now, they're rejecting me. So you know who my family is right now? It's these people sitting right here. Those who do the will of God. That is my mother and my brothers and my sisters. That's what Jesus says. I'm blessed to be a part of an earthly family where my siblings and my parents all have put their trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord. And so my earthly family that I grew up in is also a part of my eternal family. And what a gift that is. And I know there are many of you sitting here today that have family members who are not saved. And your heart is burdened for them. That, that they're a part of your earthly family, but they're as of yet not a part of your eternal family. And that hurts you, that burdens you, that breaks your heart, and you want to do something about that. So do we get anything from this passage on how to deal with that? When people that we love don't love Jesus, what are we supposed to do? A couple cues I think we can get from this. Notice how Jesus doesn't back down from the Gospels. He continues to proclaim the Gospel with the people that he's with. He doesn't cave into his family's desires. He continues to proclaim the Gospel. I, I like the words of one pastor's kid. He, his dad was a pastor and he grew up. Uh, rejecting the gospel for a number of years, this kid did. And now he gives advice to parents who have children who are unsaved. And I think this can apply not just to parents, but to anybody who has lost family members. And listen to his words. He says, For every unbelieving child, the details will be different. Each one will require parents to reach out in unique ways. Never acceptable, however, is not reaching out at all. If your child is an unbeliever, don't ignore it. Holidays might be easier, but eternity won't be. Okay? If you have unsaved family members, continue to pray for them daily, vigorously, and continue to proclaim the gospel to them in ways that are, in times and ways that are sensitive for sure, but don't back down. Jesus is basically redefining family around himself. He's saying there's something more important than commitment to my family. That is commitment to God's will. My obedience to God trumps my obedience to my earthly family. That's a hard thing to live out. Moms, this is hard for you on Mother's Day. I I just want to address moms really quickly. Um, Here's just... uh, a caution, I think, or a a word from this passage. Moms, don't make your kids choose between you and Jesus. Here's what I mean by that. Moms, don't make your kids choose between you and Jesus. God has given moms this motherly instinct to guard and protect their kids. But sometimes, if if your child has put their faith and trust in Jesus, their primary loyalty is no longer to you as mother, but it is to Jesus. And sometimes Jesus calls his disciples to do some pretty radical and dangerous things that might scare you to death as a mom. Moms, don't make your kids choose between you and Jesus. Remember that if they're saved, their primary loyalty is to Jesus. Moms, you could also be a great uh, witness to your kids If you let them know, uh, 
there's not many kids, and, and I'm sorry if you've been one of those that, that hasn't experienced the love of a mother, but there's a lot of us in here who have experienced the deep love of a mom, and that is so good for us. But you know what? Your kids need to see, moms, more than your love for them. They need to see your love for Jesus trumping all things in your life. What a great gospel witness that is to your kids, that you love Jesus more than you love them. You hear moms say things sometimes like, my whole world revolves around my kids. That's not a healthy place to be. Not according to this passage, where Jesus totally redefines even what family is. That our eternal family um, and our relationship with Jesus has to be more important than our relationship with our kids. It sounds an awful lot like the description from earlier in this chapter of what it means to be a disciple. That Jesus' disciples, remember, are people that he has called out of this world to be with him and to be sent out by him. A family are those who are called, Jesus' family is those who are called to be with him and to do the Father's will. I see two things in here that I want to just close with. I see, one, a warning, and two, some really good news. Here's a warning from this passage that I think we probably need to hear this morning, and I don't want you to um, miss this. The warning comes for those who think that you're comfortable and good and in because you've, quote, always been around Jesus, right? Some people say, like, well, I'm, I'm good with God. Like, I grew up in the church. I've been hearing about Jesus my whole life. I'm always in church. Well, being in church doesn't make you a Christian any more than being in a garage makes you a car, right? It, it, doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't go hand in hand that those two always have to go together. Jesus here is looking at his earthly family who has a great deal of history with him. And he's, I see a warning in here. If you think that you're an insider, that you have some sort of authority over Jesus, then you're in a bad spot. His family standing on the outside, assuming that they have some kind of authority over Jesus, is in a bad spot. We need to be careful that we don't depend for an assurance of our salvation on our personal history with Jesus. Like, oh, one time I was baptized, and so I'm sure I'm good. Or one time this, or one time that, and so I'm sure I'm good. We need to be the people who right now, currently, presently, are sitting at Jesus' feet. Now, some helpful words from another pastor that were helpful for, helpful for me. Here's what he said. He says, if at some point in the future you begin to doubt whether or not you've really put your faith in Jesus, do you look backwards to try and remember that moment when you first hopped up into his arms? I suppose you could. Better, though, would be to look at where you're currently resting. If you are right now resting in his arms, knowing when you began to rest is less important than that you're doing it right now. Your present posture is more important than a past memory. So, question, what's your present posture towards Jesus? Are you right now acknowledging that Jesus is Lord and falling in all of your weakness and brokenness and sin at His feet and submitting yourself to Him as the master of your whole life? Warning then in this passage is don't assume you're an insider. Humble yourself and come and sit at Jesus' feet. And then here's the good news. And I'll end with this. This is really good news. If you're not a part of this eternal family centered around Jesus, you're invited. Did you know that? You're invited to be a part of that family. Maybe, maybe you have an earthly family where you've experienced a lot of pain and hurt. 
and you've been rejected and betrayed by your earthly family. You long to belong, but you just, as you look at Jesus, you're like, well, I wasn't even good enough for my earthly family. How can I be good enough for this eternal family? What comes when you acknowledge that you're not, that you don't deserve to be a part of this earth, this eternal family? But you recognize your own sin, and, and with it you come and you fall before Jesus, saying, I can't do anything. I am spiritually an orphan. I'm a slave to sin. But you know that our God stands ready to adopt you in, to take you as his own. You who are spiritually an orphan, you who are enslaved to sin, he will redeem you. He'll buy you out of that slavery as you repent of your sin and put your trust in Jesus. And you become a part of a new family, a forever family. Listen to the words of Galatians 4. This is good news. Listen. But when the fullness of time had come, this is Galatians 4, 4 through 7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. That's us. So that, listen, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. We started this morning by talking about what seems like the hopeless state of the family in our culture. I hope that you can see this morning through this passage that there is great hope for the family. But hope for the family does not ultimately lie in lobbying our legislators it ultimately lies as one by one. And it also doesn't lie in, the, in, in putting family as the top priority and saying, my family trumps everything else. It comes as we recognize Jesus' complete authority. And we put ourselves totally at his feet and say, Jesus' authority trumps everything else in my life, including my relationship with my family. I want him to be Lord over everything. And my hope is that is what where you're at today. And if you're not, if you're, like I'm talking about this, you're wondering about being a part of this eternal family that Jesus is calling people to, come and talk to me about that. I want to talk to you about that. We are being called. Listen to this privilege. We're being invited into this perfect relationship that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have had since before there was even time. A relationship centered around love and submission to one another completely loving one another, and we're invited to be a part of this family. Through Christ, through God's grace, through our faith in Christ, we who are orphaned can be adopted in to a family where we'll experience eternal joy and unending love. And that's good news on Mother's Day and on every other day.